If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my interview with Mark Steinis. Part one, last week, we talked about what it's like to host the Rose Parade. Mark Steinis, for 17 years, was with Entertainment Tonight. He was also one of the hosts of Home and Family on the Hallmark Channel for six years. And in this episode, we talk a lot about his career and how it was launched by being mistaken for Tom Cruise. Now, that's happened to me. It's probably happened to you as well. Anyway, some interesting things about his career. It's a unique career in broadcast journalism. Also, interviewing celebrities. A lot of good dish. That's This Week, Part 2 with Mark Steinis. This Week on Hollywood and Levine. All right. Let's start at the beginning now. How did you get into TV journalism? You know, this is a really, how did I get into it? So I guess you'd have to go back to, um, I've always was interested in the photography component of it. Uh, And when I went to college, I couldn't find the college, any of the colleges that were recruiting me to play football didn't really have a broadcast, you know, or have a photography program. So I ended up, uh, going to Northern Iowa, full ride scholarship, thought I was going to play pro football. And while I was there, I studied photography, but I blew through the courses pretty quickly. And just as I finished that, I was going to go, well, at least I'll take maybe the, you know, the 16 millimeter film class. And they did away with it, but they brought in videotape. That was probably, I would say, the beginning of my interest in doing, I won't say journalism so much, but but more like television production. Because I really started off behind the scenes. I didn't have any intention of being in front of a camera. Uh, so when I ended up uh, pursuing, you know, this particular part in communications, it led to an internship at the local TV station. And it's really interesting when you find something that really, really comes to you naturally. My grades soared. I was on full ride scholarship. I was getting an academic scholarship. I was like, I was making money going to college because there was the, the funds were there. So I ended up working at the local TV station. And because of that sort of infectious and supportive environment that I was around, people there were like, no, you need to get in front of the camera. I'm like, no, no. And they would, you know, push me to do it. And and eventually I, I started going down that road. But then the the real twist in all this is I couldn't find it. You know, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, then I might as well do it. So I made tapes and I sent them out. And I was getting rejection letters, one right after the other. Couldn't get my foot in the door. It was either, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Do you, you have to have experience before we'll hire you, but we can't get, you can't get experience unless someone hires you. So you're stuck. Right. Catch 22. 
Yeah. Yep. So in 1988, Republican National Convention in New Orleans, I happened to go down. I was a cameraman and we had a uh, Black Hawk Broadcasting Company had, I think, three affiliates that were there. And I was going to do the live shots for for the other smaller markets, along with, with our main anchor, Ron mm-hmm. Steele, who went. And we went down to New Orleans and one thing led to another. And there was a gentleman by the name of Larry Perrette who I still to this day adore, he, (laughs) without getting into all the like, you know, all the stuff, but we met and he was like, oh, you look like Tom Cruise. And I'm like, oh, I've heard this since the outsiders came out in high school. A lot taller than Tom Cruise. Yeah. So (laughs) he started using that to get us into places because you couldn't get in anywhere because it was just so packed on the French Quarter. So he would say, I got Tom Cruise over here. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and we started going into all these places. And now keep in mind, we would do live shots. And then I'd have all these guys wearing suits and ties still with earpieces, you know, from doing live shots, f- walking around with us. They look like either agents or bodyguards or security detail or whatever. And we would go out. Well, long story short, Entertainment Tonight found out about it. They're like, wait, Tom Cruise is there? So they went down because they're trying to figure out, you know, we got to do something on the convention. So they tracked down Larry. Larry's like, no, 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 this is not really him. It, it, it It's a lookalike. And they first they were like, we're not going to do anything on it. It's, we really thought it was him. And then it kept getting bigger and bigger. It was in the Times Picayune and all of it. And finally they came back and they said, let us follow you guys for a night. So they followed us and that made it even worse because when you take an entertainment tonight camera and you tell people there's a Tom Cruise lookalike, they don't hear lookalike. They just hear Tom Cruise and it blew up. I mean, we had a huge amount of people in the French quarter and we rented limos. That was our, one of our last nights there. And it was just a spectacle. So the story airs on entertainment tonight. And I ended up getting three job offers like within a week after that. Bakersfield, um, Charlton, South Carolina, and Springfield, Missouri. And I ended up taking my first job in Springfield. Wait, you didn't go to Bakersfield? I, I did I not was, go to Bakersfield. I, I was a disc jockey for a year in Bakersfield. In Bakersfield, yeah. yeah. You know, but this, this is like, I, I have this story. I keep it on my Instagram because it's a reminder. Like, this was before you had American Idol or Survivor and Richard Hatch and all these people who were getting famous for doing these reality shows, there was no way to really break through and, and, and get the exposure that this one story for ET did for me. Um, and it, and it was an opportunity. And then of course, when that happens, you know, it's like you, if opportunity lands in your lap like that, you, you have got to step up and answer the call. So I really started working my butt off and worked in Springfield for a little bit. The next thing I know, I get a call to come to LA and, now, ironically, ironically, and this goes back to it's all about who you know. So Larry Perrette, who started that whole thing in New Orleans, was working at KCAL here in Los Angeles as one of the uh, – he was the executive producer for, I think, the 8 o'clock show. And they needed a sports reporter. And he's like, I got somebody for you. So I uh, I flew out and then met with Beth Meharry, and, and then the rest is history. Just- you big sports guy? Are you? A big oh, I was sports huge, fan? huge. I was a huge sports fan. Um, as a kid growing up, I loved playing. You know, from baseball, football, 
um, ran track in, in high school. I think we still hold the record now. We hold the record for the four by 100 yard relay. Um, I think we might have it for the meter too. Um, and um, my brothers, I mean, the team, the, the school that I went to, um, they were state champions of football, uh, runners up and then champions. My year, we didn't quite get there, but um, ended up playing at Northern Iowa, where Kurt Warner came from. There's a lot of big names that came out of that program. Um, in fact, my roommate is still the head coach there. Um, uh, Carson Wentz um, played in our conference. There's been so many people that have come out of that Division One AA football that have gone on to do really, really well. Um, my One of my teammates is actually the head coach at K-State now. Um, and um, so... It, yeah, so that that I'm kind of off on a tangent here, but yeah, that's where I I, I love sports. I love when I came here and I cover. I'm a Raider fan, so when the Raiders were here, you know, I would go into the press box, and that's when I learned the first time you have to sit on your hands because you can't cheer for the teams. You know, you're <laughs> supposed to be impartial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh come on, um, but it was nice, you know. I had, had my chance to date, you know, a couple Raiderettes, which was a big mistake. But, um, um, you know, probably it's a mistake that, that most guys would be happy to make. <laughs> right? And I'm sure the Raiderettes uh, are going, God, I'm going out with Tom Cruise. I always thought he was shorter, but. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. really, but th that's the, how you get it. You you don't know. So many people ask, they're like, how do I get in? I, I want your job. And I'm, and then a lot of times people will say stuff like, oh, I want to, you know, I, I want your job. And I go, what about, I, I just want to be on camera. And, you know, doing we, what? We, <laughs> we go back you know, a period of time where having a camera wasn't something you typically had. Now you have it, you know, here. Well, I say, if you want to be on camera, go get a camera at Best Buy and put yourself on camera. I said, that's not what the job is. The job is not being on camera. The job is being able to be a really good interviewer, to be, um, you know, sometimes just be just sit and listen to somebody um, and knowing how to thread a very controversial or very fun. Robin Williams was always just so much fun to interview, but complicated because you can never keep him on point. Um and Madonna always or Cher would always have fun. We'd always have fun and flirt with each other. And there was just, this, there's just so much, you know, I actually found enjoy, uh, more pleasure in uh, interviewing celebrities than I did athletes. Um, well, I understand that yeah. after having interviewed a number of athletes, like yeah. playing tennis against a blanket in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but that's a good one. You know, <laughs> it's what true. are some tips for good interviewing? Um, I think that you know a couple little things you may that like if I were if I'm talking with somebody who's just starting out is just listen, um, uh, and and a follow up with a why. Why is always the best. You know, you can come and, and it also, if you're not quite sure what you want to ask next, um, it always helps you buy time and be really curious. Like, why? Um, why was that you know, this? And why did you want to do play this? Larry King you... told me the exact same thing. Yeah. When I asked him that question, he told me the exact same thing. Yeah. 
I, I think that's probably really key. The other part, working with celebrities, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma because if there is like Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, when the split happened, I was in, I was in uh, Monte Carlo. Oh no, Cannes Film Festival. And she was doing Moulin Rouge and, and we were going to sit down for a 20 minute interview. And she, she, the only thing she had done at that point about talking about their split was in, I don't know, it was Elle magazine or something where you could tell she probably had last editorial rights over what, what was there. Cause it was very, very groomed. So that's the only information I had to work with in anticipation of how she may respond to certain questions. And I remember sitting uh, waiting for her and we had our little cabana set up and they said 20 minutes and then, oh, she's running late. Now, now you have 17 minutes. Okay, great. Waiting. Um, they came in, they go, okay, she's here. Uh, it's 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay, you keep cutting time for me. They bring her in, they sit her down, they're putting the microphone on. And as they're doing it, the publicist leans into me and says, you have 10 minutes. And I'm like, I've got to get First of all, Moulin Rouge was a huge, you know, uh, departure for her. Mm -hmm. And I also had to get to the personal stuff. And if you front load an interview like that and you just talk about the Moulin Rouge stuff, as soon as you transition, she's just going to get up and leave because you're either, you're either out of time or, and she will talk it through to 10 minutes is up. Yeah. Or, she's gotten her bullet points out. She's yeah. done. And yeah. she's done. She doesn't yeah. have to answer your other questions. So you can't, you, And you, but yet if you front load it, I had the same thing with Lisa Marie Presley. If you front load the the interview with these really salacious questions, your chemistry is just going to fall apart. And so you just have to you tiptoe through and you're constantly reading their body language. I can tell she's, I could tell, uh, you know, she was, she was nervous she was not nervous. She was, she was caution. There was a lot of caution and distance there. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of trust. So you have to build that up. And, and that goes across, I think, your entire career. If publicists who represent these different people really, they're like, look, you can trust Mark. He's not going to go there. He won't do this. Um, they can sit back and really relax. And they like uh, John Travolta always knew that we, we had some of the, and share, we always had the greatest conversations. Um, and a lot of the stuff just never made the made air, but that, that to me is one of the tough parts of dealing today. We're not so much in that salacious society as we were back then. Um, you know, plastic surgery gone bad kind of stuff and, and rehabs and all of those things that were so, part of our landscape, you know, um, a lot of that is sort of taboo now, which is good. Yeah. I guess too, when actors go on these junkets, it's very rough for them because they're sitting in a room and over the course of eight hours, 15 different people come in to interview them and ask the same questions. And they have to sound like, oh, that's the yeah. first time you asked me that. Yeah. No one's ever asked me, do I do my own stunts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it, you got to be aware of that, too. You yeah. Know, when, when you're uh, the ninth reporter to come in and interview them. Yeah. And that's why I think it's good to have a rapport 
Um, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm proud of this. I was requested for many interviews, which meant people really wanted to, to, you know, Ricky Martin, I flew all over the world chasing Ricky Martin when he, I mean, after that Grammy appearance that he had, mm-hmm. Loka, I mean, it was from that point forward. I mean, I remember being in Italy under the, under the stage the, in the prayer circle. And he's standing like in the middle and we're all huddled around him. And he's like, come here, come here. And I walked with him and he's like, here, and we're all doing the prayer circle. And then all of a sudden the platform just raises up and he goes up to perform and I'm left down there with the dancers. I'm like, okay. But, you know, you have these really cool moments um, and they're so rare and, and it, and it becomes like any, like any business, it's about relationships. It's all, it, it's what it comes down to and trust. Have you ever had uh, an interviewee get pissed and just march off in the middle of the interview? We had this didn't happen to me, um, but it did happen to our our you know our show. We had we did an interview, and I don't know the specifics of it, but and bless her heart um, with Anne Hache. Uh, in New York, she did the interview and it was a pretty revealing, you know, uh, it was post the Ellen time, but um, she ended up taking, she la- she got up and left the room, the hotel room, and she came back in pretty quickly and wanted to see the tapes. And then she took the tapes and she went in the bathroom and she locked herself in the bathroom with her footage. Um, that was, you know, there was, Clearly, there were some issues that were going on there, but um, I don't know if she just was like regretting what she'd done in the interview or whatever. Um, my my interaction with Anna Nicole Smith was pretty unique. I was the last one to interview her before she passed away. She didn't do anything that was was you know bad in that regard, as far as like trying to sabotage. I got John Travolta got mad at me once. Um, not me, but we did an interview. And he was doing Battlefield Earth, uh, the movie, mm-hmm. and that that was a uh, uh, Ronell Hubbard, and our producers, unbeknownst to me, I was home, um, ran a story and and sort of made it a point that this was a you know a Scientology based uh, Ron Hubbard thing, and he didn't like that at all, and he called me at home, and there were some words exchanged, and I said I'll take care of it, and I called up and I said, do you think we could probably pull out the Scientology stuff? Because eh, John's a little upset about that. And we ended up doing that, um, you know, cause it's part of the sensational component of, I think, again, we went back to that element of it. Everything had to be some controversy around it um, in order for it to sell, I guess. So, but those are all things above, uh, above my pay grade when they, when they happen. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, since you're the face, you're the one that, that, you know, bears the brunt of that. Yeah. So you were at ET for 17 years. You did a lot of hosting. Mm-hmm. There is a real art to learning the teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not everybody can do it. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. It, it is. Uh, because you, there are many times you're reading it cold, like they're changing things and they're like, you just read it. We got to go. We're going to hit the satellite, you know, and 
Um, so you're reading it cold. You do have writers that when you're there that long, they know they know how to write in your voice. So you get that part of it. A component that was very challenging that a lot of people didn't quite get because you didn't see the big, big picture of it. But when we moved to Radford lot, our our stage had 110 inch plasmas on it. So there were two horizontal ones and one vertical or two verticals, maybe. And the stage was also um, there. It was circular and then another tier on top of it. So uh, and two steps down and to a bigger platform. And that spun. And behind it was this site that you could change and put different pictures in it or whatever. So when you had to read teleprompter on that, they have it on a jib. So you had to start maybe at the top level. This The platform would start to spin. You had to, while it's spinning, not looking down because you're having to follow the jib, the swinging arm of the jib, which comes swinging around. And you're having to read that and walk down these steps. Uh, Nancy O'Dell, I remember, fell once. And they were like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore with her. Um, because, she, you know, high heels trying to do that. I'm like, uh-huh. ah. But it, it really was this sort of pat your tummy, rub your head at the same time kind of feel. Uh, that is where it can get a little challenging at times um, to read the prompter and and have all the other stuff going on. But I think like anything, you know, you you just get used to it and you you understand, you know, if I read too fast, I'm going to run into trouble because I'm going to start, you know, not breathing properly. And it takes it takes a little bit of talent to do it. But yeah, I could teach a monkey, I think. <laughs> well, they taught me when I was hosting movies on Turner Classic Movies. And for people who don't know, the teleprompter is on the front of the camera. So mm-hmm. you, as the anchor, are looking straight into the teleprompter. You're looking straight into the lens. And um, it's big enough. It was easy enough for me to read. But what they decided to do is they had the camera on a crane and similar fashion, they were going to start with a big high shot and the camera was going to slowly push in. But when the camera went to its first high position, the teleprompter is now a postage stamp. (laughs) (laughs) I've had that too. Where we've actually had it where it it um it's revealed from behind a monitor. So you have to memorize the first like three lines of it. And hopefully, you know, I had an amazing um Joshua Mertz. He was such an amazing teleprompter operator. He was so good at like stopping backing up, like if we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, and he knew he was just so good because the a couple things that you can that if you're really trained, you can watch and you can see someone's pupils going back and forth, right? Uh-huh. So you want to watch, you want to watch that. So you sort of like are using this gestalt feeling where you're trying to read it all without having to read each individual word. Um, there's also a point where they want to, you want to keep the line that you're reading at one spot in the teleprompter and not up and down. So you're doing one of these right, things. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And he was great at doing that. I mean, it is a skilled position to have. A lot of people don't understand that until you get a bad teleprompter operator who falls asleep at the wheel and you're like, hello, come on, like you're waiting. 
um, he would, he would go. And if, if sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you may ad lib a little bit and he would pause and he would back up a little bit and wait for you to catch up. So, um, those, those people really make the job so much easier. Yeah. TCM, uh, the woman who did it for me had been Jimmy Carter's teleprompter person. Mm -hmm. She was great. She was great. Yeah. She really followed me and my pace. Yeah. She was, she was terrific. They now have like, we used to like uh, hurricane Katrina. I was down in, in the Houston area for that and the Superdome area. Uh, we flew in and then and drove. Hey, Tom Cruise uh, is back in, in New I Orleans. Know, right. Scene of the crime. <laughs> uh, we back then it was Blackberries and we would, they would text us an entire show and we would have to like, you know, either hold it up, have somebody hold it next to the lens, or you had to like memorize a certain part. And then, you know, this part I'll be off camera so I can read it. There's another time, this is something that I learned that I could do and didn't realize I could. It's one of those rare, like freakish circus trick things you can do. So I was in London. I had to go to the Venice Film Festival and they're sending me there and they're like, oh, when you get there, you need to shoot the weekend show, the whole show. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, yeah, we need you to do the whole show there. Um, shoot all the stand-ups. We're going to have you in uh, gondolas and all these other places. We have it all set up. The producer's going to meet you there. Now, our weekend show was an hour long, and there were a lot of like longer on-camera reads, and there was a lot to memorize, and we were chasing the sun. And I was like, man, how am I going to do this? So I had the, you know, I didn't get the scripts till I got there. So I, when I was in uh, at the UK airport at Heathrow, I ran in, I bought a tape player, and I had my earpiece. And what we did simply was I took the copy and I read it deliberate, slow into not slow, slow, but slow enough into the microphone. And then I put my earpiece in and we disguised it and we shot more from the side and I would just push play and I would, it would come in this ear and come out of the mouth. And that's, uh-huh. I would just have to, and you know, it's an, it's an audio prompter is what basically I'm getting to. And I didn't, it, it it's one of those, some people can do and other people get really confused by it. So that was that saved the day for us and being able to knock out an entire show without a teleprompter and doing it while we're chasing the sun because we only had one shot at it and and that's not fun to do. Um, I also another point in my career that that goes back to sports is when the 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 strike was happening with the Kings or with the when um, the Kings were you know playing here and Gretzky and all that. And they were doing really well. And Bruce McNall was going to come out and have a press conference. So we were, I had just started to, by the way, working at KCAL. And they send me down and they're like, okay, we're going to get some updates. We'll see what's going on. But, you know, McNall will come out. So, you know, there it's like, you know, the Fox affiliates and everybody's there in, as well as the local stations, ESPN. And we're standing there. We're set to go live and it's just waiting and we're waiting. And finally, they're like, we're going to bring in some food and, and have, so people were eating and the whole bit. And then they come to the, it's just before the eight o'clock news, because KCAL had an eight, nine, 10 o'clock news. And um, Jeff Kaufman, my producer, comes in my ear and he's like, I remember this because there's so many people like just sitting around. And by then there, we were just in this, you know, room, there, there, there wasn't internet, there wasn't anything like that you could get. 
So he comes on in my ear and goes, the strike is over and you're going to tell everybody about this. And I'm like, wait, what? I mean, I'm in this conference and we're waiting for, how do you know this? And he goes, it just broke on the wire. Minnesota is, has, has their general manager just announced this, 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 and this, and this. So I'm like, well, and, and we are like, I'm hearing the, the start of the newscast in my ear and I'm still not, I still have no information uh, to confirmation on any of this. And very calmly, and this goes back to how, when you have a great producer, he just goes, he pushes to the little mic button. He goes, just repeat after me and look into the lens and talk to Jerry Dumphy. And I'm like, okay. And sure enough, it came out and they turned to me and they were like, okay, here, you know, and I, and he was just reading the AP wire copy in my ear and I had to spit it out. And as I was doing that, I could feel everybody in that room, all the other report looking at me going, what do you, what do you mean the strike is over? How do you know that? Like there, that information hasn't come out yet. And just as I was about finished, he then says, Bruce McNall just walked in behind you, turn and toss it to him. And sure enough, it, I mean, it was just flawless the way it happened. Broadcast news. It, it really, <laughs> it was. And that was one of those times where I was like, wow, I pull that out, you know, um, but you don't do that by yourself. You have to have a team that does it. And again, seeing all the other people in the in that room turn and look at me going, who's this new guy, first of all? And he looks like Tom Cruise. And second of all, like, <laughs> how does he know this information? But it, that's how that's sometimes how you do it, you know, by the seat of your pants and you just just go. And, you know, you get you even see Colbert sometimes do this. Uh, this just in, you know, jokingly. But that's that's exactly what had happened. Now, before I let you go, I got to say, you did something so cool. You had a surprise wedding. <laughs> you had a bunch of people over for a barbecue. And then you announced that you were getting married in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We... um we had a uh, it was a it was a celebration for a new season. We we were renewed for a new season at home and family, and we we're such a close group of people. And I met my wife Julie there on the show, so we thought you know, and we taught we knew immediately after we met that we were going to get married. So we waited for the year to or whatnot, and then we talked about where do we want to do this. We were kind of planning a little bit, but just didn't. You know, my wife was very, she's sort of introverted. She's like, oh, let's just go to the beach or let's just do this. And I go, no, <laughs> we're going to have a big deal. <laughs> and um, so we made a surprise. You know, we had everybody come over and every, well, everybody that came was like, oh, this is a, you know, season five launch party or whatever. And we hosted it here at the house. And I think we had 250 people or whatever and had a band and all that. And um, yeah, we just had a pop-up wedding and we had... Um, you didn't have Dot a chopped liver swan because that would have given it away. <laughs> we had Dot Marie Jones came. Um, she was the one who um, married us. She's been a friend for years. Um, and um, it just it was just so much fun. Like the, everybody just had a blast. It was a short ceremony. Um, Julie's family came in and, you know, and it's been wedded bliss ever since. That's great. Final yeah. question. Yeah. What's easier, being the interviewer or being the interviewee? Oh, being the interviewer. 
a hundred times easier, a hundred times easier. I'm not, I mean, I can, you can see I can handle an interview, but I, I pref much prefer, you know, being the person questioning people. Cause I just find that much more interesting. You know, I can talk about myself and, like, uh, you yeah. know, but you know, I would, I, in fact, I probably should have flipped this a little bit. And I tend to do that sometimes. And I try not to, because I know people are like, well, we wanted to interview you and now you're asking us all the questions. I'm like, I know, but I want to know. <laughs> um, so I, I do, I find that, yeah, I find being the interviewer much, much more appealing um, than anything else. Yeah, you do have a certain amount of control. Well, you're welcome to interview me anytime other than during the Rose Parade, because I'm usually asleep for the first half of it. So we're going to have to get you up. Uh, and uh, well, you you know what? The good thing is you can watch it on reruns. That's Kate's true, which is done. what I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but, you know, I've never actually been to the Rose Parade. One year, I, I got to do that. You got an extra seat up there. I'll... Uh, I, I, you bet you let, let me know. I actually had never been to the Rose Parade before. I watched it tons growing up as sure, a Sure, me too. My yeah. first time ever at the parade was going in as a host. I mean, that's, I guess, says something. I guess what, what scared me, especially early on when I was a kid, they didn't have as many bleachers set up. Uh, so you had to go the night before and camp out on the sidewalk mm -hmm. for the entire night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's January 1st, so it's 28 degrees, it's 33 degrees, that kind of thing. Yeah. My parents were like, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we're going to do that. <laughs> you know, when you come from Iowa, like I have, if you're in January... And it's, you know, 30 degrees, it's balmy. Summer, yeah. Know? No, I know. I know. It's... I did get to go one year, I think I was like nine years old. After the parade, the floats are on display at a park for a few days. So we went to see the floats. And here's the thing that struck me. And I know this ages me quite a bit, but it was so great to see the floats in color. Because back then, you know, you're watching the Rose Parade. It's all in black and white. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. And and That's... I think about that now as I sit and I'm looking at a big screen TV and it's high definition and the picture quality is just so phenomenal mm -hmm. that we now just take for granted and I think back to those days when I would like watch the parade on like little 19 inch black and white Sony Trinitron, and I'd be thrilled. But but think of this though, back in 1890 when the Valley Hunt Club said that the, the whole idea was, you know, these were people from the East and Midwest who moved out here when, oh my God, this is beautiful. Look at everything's in bloom. Let's show the world you know, what this chamber of commerce day looks like for us, but they had to do it in black and white. Right. Like, yeah. so it didn't it, like, and it's still, and it's still reverberated with people. They still resonated with people where they're like, Oh my gosh, look at those flowers. They're black and white and some gray, you know? <laughs> um, 
But when the, you're right, when the color comes around and you begin to see now with the high definition, it's even more spectacular to see. So it's, uh, it, it is, it is nice to sit back at home and watch now these days. Um, you see some of the old footage that you pull up on YouTube and you're like, wow, did they just put Vaseline on the lens? Like, what, what is that? <laughs> God. When um, you're watching other parades, do you critique the hosts? Do you go, oh, uh, Jesus Christ, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I watch it just because I, I want to see what the the feeling is like. Like, I, I, there's a whole separate feel for the Macy's. Like, I, there's some performances that are nice. But when you look at like, oh, they just put some, and I don't, this is not bashing Macy's at all. But when when I see the work that goes into a float versus blowing up a balloon, you know, and floating it down, the, I'm like, hmm. I still prefer like you the, need good yeah. lung capacity though. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of hot air to, to, to blow those up. <laughs> yeah. well, this has been great, Mark. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk about the things that we do. You know, absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Our thanks to Mark Steinus, and that will do it for this week on Hollywood and Levine. As always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. My email address, should you wish to get in touch, is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And like every podcast, I could use a five-star review. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again next week right here on Hollywood and the Vine.